Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello, Sixpackers. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, Episode 68. Exactly what I feared and predicted would happen because of the pandemic lockdown in America has begun. We've gone from an irrational fear of the coronavirus to willingly abrogating our civil liberties to political leaders who mostly don't actually care about our safety and health to society breaking down into anarchy and possible civil war. I'll break it all down for you in this episode. What did Billy D. Williams the celebrated American artist Norman Rockwell and famed comedian Jimmy Durante have to do with one man's journey from conservative Judaism to the cross. Everything. Marty Barrick has lived one of the most fascinating conversion journeys ever told. In Calvary Road, Marty's biography, you can read about Marty's military service with Billy D. Williams, how Norman Rockwell helped him pass a college course, how in his deep abiding love for his late wife, Marty helped Irene travel the road of sanctity. How the times are quickly reaching critical mass for fulfilling prophecy concerning the Jews, and much, much more. Get your copy of Calvary Road by Marty Barrick today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. You know that old adage about knowing your history or being doomed to repeat it? This is yet another time in American history when we should have learned from our history, because the 1918 flu epidemic shows us we way overreacted to the coronavirus, and now we're beginning to pay the price. Our medical technology is light years ahead of where it was a hundred years ago. I did a little research on how Americans handled the flu epidemic in 1918, and what I discovered was astounding. Admittedly, there were roughly 675,000 Americans who died from the flu in 1918 and 1919, and we've only had 41,000 deaths from the coronavirus at this moment. But that's largely because of modern medicine and the fact that 1918 virus was much nastier. Apart from the disparity in deaths, there's another major difference between 1918 and 2020. Don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying the seriousness of this health problem, but I think it's been overhyped in the media. Not so 100 years ago, though. Americans in 1918 were anything but spoiled and soft snowflakes. They understood hardship, and they had the same attitude I've expressed to you before. God's not going to take you one second before he wants you, and you're not going to live one second longer than he decides you should live. You have absolutely no say in when you're born or die, even if you decide to displace God by committing suicide. Americans in 1918 wisely used ordinary precautions such as masks and activities moved outdoors whenever possible. I saw pictures and read articles that demonstrated this. For example, I saw a photo where both barbers and their customers wore masks. Court hearings were convened outside on courthouse grounds. 
In an age when most people only bathed weekly, sometimes monthly, Americans during the 1918 epidemic became much more conscious of their hygiene. But there's one more thing they did. They worked. They worked because they had to work. There was no such thing as a nanny state government who'd feed their families or pay their bills, so they couldn't afford to cower behind closed doors. The result was that until October 1929, America entered one of its greatest economic periods in history, which only ended because of overspeculation by investors on Wall Street. Another thing Americans didn't do a hundred years ago was to surrender their civil liberties in favor of safety and security. As Jefferson and Franklin both told us two and a half centuries ago, anyone who chooses security over liberty deserves neither. Yet that's exactly what we did in March, and we're already beginning to see the destructive effects. In purely human terms, these lockdowns are devastating. I watched a video from Pennsylvania where cars were lined up for miles to get food from a food pantry to feed their families. These weren't old broken-down cars you'd expect poor people to drive, but rather Americans who were gainfully employed in decent-paying jobs until a month ago. This is the first thing that happens when power-hungry politicians take away our liberties and rule over us rather than serve us and there have been governors who said they intend to keep their states locked down until August at the earliest. Some have even said until there's a vaccination for this thing. That could be another couple of years. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer has gone off the deep end of the tyranny pool. She's told Michiganders that they can't go anywhere except their homes and the grocery stores. Under her new order, and I have no idea what makes her think she has this authority, she prohibits visiting family or friends unless the visit involves providing care, buying non-essential items even if they're in a big box store, including carpeting, furniture, gardening equipment, and paint, public and private gatherings regardless of their size or relation to one another, and banning travel between two separate homes in Michigan. But that isn't all for Michigan. Kent County, Michigan Chief Circuit Judge Mark Trussick's April 6 order declares that any citizen deemed to be, quote, a carrier and health threat can be involuntarily detained by a peace officer, transported to and detained in an involuntary isolation facility selected by the health officer for observation, testing, and or treatment, end quote. The individual could be held for at least three days to confirm he or she is without fever of 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit for at least 72 consecutive hours, without use of fever-reducing medication, and or is otherwise non-symptomatic and meets the CDC criteria for release and isolation. According to the Great Lakes Justice Center, Trussick based the order on state law that authorizes the confinement of individuals who a, quote, court has reasonable cause to believe, end quote, is a public health threat. But whereas that law requires a court to assess specific cases before making an arrest, Trussick gave police and health officials blanket permission to decide who may be a threat. This is blatantly unconstitutional, but as long as we're locked down, there's no one to stop this sort of behavior. 
Now do you understand why there's been such bold moves to stop the sales of guns and ammunition during this media-created crisis? But Judge Trussick isn't alone in this judicial tyranny. The McHenry County, Illinois Health Department had refused to provide the names of all the COVID-19 patients to police, but Judge Michael Schmiel ruled the health department must do so. The McHenry County State's Attorney Office had sued the health department to force it to begin supplying patients' names to local law enforcement. McHenry County Judge Michael Schimmel entered a temporary restraining order mandating that the health department disclose to police the names of those actively infected with COVID-19. According to prosecutors, quote, the health department refused to reveal the names. Health departments have typically cited privacy concern in withholding such information, specifically the Federal HIPAA Act, end quote. Why in the hell do prosecutors and police need the names of coronavirus patients? Doctors and other medical professionals have always considered the health issues of a patient to be sacrosanct, and because of the way the Constitution is written, the government has always respected that principle of the medical profession. Police in Raleigh, North Carolina turned up at a protest to reopen the state, and they arrested one person. The city's police department has come under fire for tweeting, quote, protesting is a non-essential activity, end quote, a statement that flies in the face of the First Amendment. The department has since defended its tweet, saying it's simply following orders. Oh, the Cali defense. That sounds more like a dictatorial police state than America. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy admitted he wasn't thinking of the Bill of Rights when he prohibited large gatherings of more than 50 people in his state, including religious gatherings. He also claimed liquor stores are remaining open for mental health reasons. What kind of bovine feces is that? Why are liquor stores essential businesses but religious services aren't? This booger-eating moron Murphy said Cardinal Tobin was in agreement with him. Like that makes trampling on our liberties okay. Tobin's every bit as much of a traitor as Murphy is. Twelve states have almost completely stripped their citizens of their liberties. And there are numerous municipalities where the lockdown rules are even worse. There are jurisdictions where they're considering restricting citizens' movements for a year and a half. That's not just unconstitutional, it's utter madness. We have to assume our elected officials aren't insane or the voters wouldn't have elected them. Then what explains this jackboot-on-the-neck behavior from our political leaders? The only thing that can explain it is a greed for power. They have no respect whatsoever for us nor the Constitution. In fact, some of them are on record that they want to do away with the current Constitution and write a completely new one. Isn't that a comforting thought? These politicians don't give a damn about us or our health. They're quickly becoming addicted to the power and control they've found in this media-created crisis. And you can be sure they're not going to relinquish control until they're forced to do so. Our founding fathers warned us about this, but we've stupidly and intentionally remained ignorant of our own history. Washington gave us our first and biggest warning when he said, Occupants of public offices love power and are prone to abuse it. John Adams said, 
Liberty, once lost, is lost forever. This same wise man also said, Power always thinks that it is doing God's service when it is violating all his laws. You might rebut the things I've been saying with, But Joe, this is an emergency. We have to do as our leaders tell us to stop this pandemic. Damn it, that's just a cowardly child's reaction. As Thomas Jefferson said, when tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes duty. So it's time to put on our grown-up pants and do exactly what good Americans and Catholics are obligated to do. Rebel. God gave us the liberties protected by the Bill of Rights, and no elected official, government, or prostituted bureaucratic bishop has the moral right to take them away from us. Nothing, absolutely nothing, can justify robbing us of what God naturally endowed us with from our conception in our mother's womb. American citizens have begun to rebel, and although I believe the citizens' response is appropriate, I'm afraid it may be too little too late. Nonetheless, Americans are fighting back. Thousands have marched against their political masters in eight states so far, including Kentucky, Michigan, North Carolina, Ohio, Texas, Utah, Virginia, and Wyoming. The most notable protest comes from Michigan, perhaps because Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer's social distancing restrictions have gone too far. Michigators are so much opposed to these restrictions that ordinarily liberal citizens protested against Whitmer and her restrictions in Lansing, and Michigan County sheriffs are refusing to enforce them. And I say good for them. When I talk about rebellion, I'm not advocating armed revolt. Don't get me wrong. That's always a last resort. When all other peaceful means of rebellion fail, though, armed revolt is certainly morally acceptable, but we're still a long way from that. I'm talking about rebelling through active protest, as is your First Amendment right and duty, writing letters and sending emails to elected officials, and calling them every single day to become the proverbial thorn in their fifth point of contact. We've got to remind them that they work for us, not the other way around. If we fail to stand up now, we may never again complain about our bishops and elected officials not having the backbone to stand up when they're supposed to stand. If we fail to stand up now, we may never be able to stand up again. an apostolate you'd like other Catholics to learn about? Maybe you have an e-commerce business and you want to build sales while supporting a wholly orthodox apostolate. Whatever you want to advertise, The Cantankerous Catholic is your portal to success. The Cantankerous Catholic isn't even a year into broadcasting its weekly shows and we're already listened to in 16 countries, all 50 states, and 101 major cities throughout the U.S. and Canada. Our listener demographics are the most sought after for advertisers. The Cantankerous Catholic avatar is 53% men and 47% women ages 18 to 34. The show's average growth rate through 2019 was 24% per week, and our listeners are Orthodox Catholics who reject heterodox Catholic positions and political correctness. Relative to other podcasts and online advertising, our rates are extremely cost-effective and inexpensive. You can advertise in each show's show notes, in the recorded episode itself, our weekly newsletter that announces each new episode, all of these media together, or in any combination. 
So contact us today by filling out the form on the Sponsor Kit page at cantankerouscatholic.com or email Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, directly at joe at cantankerouscatholic.com to learn how you can begin driving traffic to whatever you want to promote while helping to support a worthy, orthodox, and hard-hitting apostolate. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to ABC 13 News. The Lone Star State becomes the first state to announce dates for easing coronavirus restrictions. Governor Greg Abbott said state parks will open on April 20, surgery restrictions will be lifted on April 22nd, and retail will reopen April 24. Schools will remain closed for the rest of the school year. Opening Texas must occur in stages, Abbott said. First will be openings announced today that will pose minimal or no threats with COVID-19. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number four. Hats off to LifeSite News. On Good Friday, a county in the Golden State issued an order to churches banning singing, ostensibly to further stem the spread of the coronavirus. Ah, the land of fruits and nuts. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number three. Hats off to the Western Journal. A Wisconsin teen is suing her county sheriff after she says a law enforcement officer pressured her to delete a social media post alerting people that she had the coronavirus, going so far as to threaten to arrest her. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number two. Hats off to LifeSite News. Pope Francis launched another Vatican commission to study women deacons. Moreover, Vatican News ran an article praising the beneficial effects for the planet of the coronavirus. Last but not least, the Mass Against Plagues was revised so to remove references to God's wrath. Francis strikes again. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick pick number one. Hats off to LifeSite News. While Virginia families were preoccupied with the trauma of the coronavirus pandemic and job loss, Governor Ralph Northam quietly signed into law a bill that forces public businesses and even private organizations to open women's bathrooms, locker rooms, showers, and dressing rooms to men who claim that they are women. It's an official rejection of God's purposeful design of female and male. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Warning to snowflakes. If he thinks it, he says it. It's time now for Joe Sixpack's Common Sense Catholic Commentary. When Jesus established the Catholic Church, he made Peter the first pope and the other apostles the first bishops. 
After Pentecost, there were several characteristics displayed by the apostles, and those unique characteristics were aspired to by most bishops in our history for about 1950 years. Those unique characteristics were, one, an absolute trust and faith in God, two, that trust and faith was marked by a perfect resignation to his holy will, even if his will turned out to be something contrary to what they wanted. Three, they were bold, courageous, and didn't care what others thought about what they did and said, as long as they knew they were doing the right thing. Four, they were willing to meet death for the salvation of the souls in their charge. As I said, most of the bishops in the church's history tried their best to imitate these characteristics as best they could. That's why we ended up with such great bishops like Polycarp and Ignatius, Augustine and John Henry Cardinal Newman, to Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke. I mentioned Cardinal Burke as an example of a modern bishop who tries to imitate the apostles. While he's not alone in sharing these apostolic characteristics, unlike bishops of the past who made up the majority in the hierarchy, he's in a distinct minority today. For years, the bishops, in our country and around the world, have steadfastly refused to teach the faith and shepherd the laity. They've also become great and outspoken when it comes to speaking up in favor of democratic political talking points, and last November they actually had to vote on whether or not to keep the abolition of abortion as their preeminent political position. In actuality, most of our bishops have become bureaucrats instead of shepherds. Sure, there are a few notable exceptions, but the few exceptions should be the rule. Bishops like Cardinal Burke and Bishop Joseph Strickland are what real bishops look like. They understand that their job is to save souls. Bishop Strickland, for example, works tirelessly to share and defend the faith both in and out of his diocese. I personally know how extraordinarily busy this man is, so I was amazed when he readily accepted an invitation to begin writing a column for The Wander not long after my column began. And Cardinal Burke? You can't open a Catholic publication or read an online Catholic news feed without seeing something from his eminence. He's the most outspoken and prolific defender of the Catholic faith in the English-speaking world. Then we have other bishops. Just the other night, I heard Timothy Cardinal Dolan of New York promoting heresy about when Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Cardinal Dolan suggested that Jesus was having a moment of doubt in the Father. How in the world can God have doubts about himself? That's as ridiculous a notion as, well, Dolan being a cardinal in the church in the first place. Pope Francis is even worse. Have you ever heard what he said about the coronavirus? He said this was Mother Earth's way of extracting justice on us for the way we treat the environment. That shouldn't be too surprising, though, because in January he said the UN should form a one-world government and force the rest of the world to be governed by it. Furthermore, he said the UN wouldn't have to force the church because he'd gladly turn over its governance to them. Then there's Cardinal Kupic or Kupic or however you pronounce his name in Chicago. 
This Francis Made Cardinal was being interviewed by WBBM Radio when he dismissed that prayer is a powerful tool during this pandemic. He said that you can't just pray and think things will change. I'm sorry, Your Eminence, but haven't you ever read the Bible or the lives of the saints? With guys like these, it's no wonder that 82% of the Catholic laity don't believe what the church teaches. Kupik is typical of the biggest problem among the members of our hierarchy. It becomes glaringly evident that many of them, if not most, no longer believe they're not Catholic anymore. They're nothing more than secularists wearing a Roman collar. They don't shepherd because there's nothing to be shepherded in their minds. Yet they're as happy as a drunken sailor in a bordello to insist that we give them our money so they can continue to advance their liberal causes. And you'd better not disagree with them or call them out for their heresies or you're a racist who's incapable of empathy and basic Christian charity. Okay, so our bishops as a whole aren't going to teach, lead, or shepherd us, so what do we do? Leaving the church isn't an option. Lumen Gentium 14 says, basing itself on scripture and tradition, the council teaches that the church, a pilgrim now on earth, is necessary for salvation. The one Christ is the mediator and the way of salvation. He is present to us in his body, which is the church. He himself explicitly asserted the necessity of faith and baptism and thereby affirmed at the same time the necessity of the church which men enter through baptism is through a door. Hence they could not be saved who, knowing that the Catholic Church was founded as necessary by God through Christ, would refuse either to enter it or to remain in it. In other words, leaving the church will buy an express ticket to hell. That's not an option. Nearly five years ago, I asked Cardinal Burke how to answer people, asking me what we should do. After assuring me that he'd never leave the church under any circumstances, he told me to follow his lead by reading and listening to his interviews and writings. My first best advice, then, is for you to do what he told me. My second bit of advice is a matter of practical action. Look, we're obligated to obey the bishops in matters of faith and morals. The only things we absolutely need our bishops for are to get new priests and for confirmations. If you have a good bishop, by all means stick to him like glue. And if you're not sure about your bishop, feel free to ask me. I know about most of our hierarchy. Beyond that, you've got to discover a much deeper prayer life. I know from experience that God won't leave you orphaned and that he'll shepherd you the way the bishops are supposed to, but you have to deepen your prayer life to experience that. Also, since the bishops won't teach us, and they haven't for 50-plus years, you've got to learn all you can about the faith on your own. There are lots of ways to do that. The easiest and fastest way I know of are through the Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy apostolate. I host the free webinars each week, and I'm going to launch the Catholic Boot Camp podcast soon. Everything I do is free, and you'll not get bored. Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke made sure that I know and understand the Catholic faith better than many priests, and I'll happily pass everything I know on to you. If you have any questions about how to get started, just ask me. Joe Sixpack. 
The Every Catholic Guy is a welcome visitor to parishes across the United States every Sunday through his What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Using humor, immutable truth, and ignoring political correctness, Joe Sixpack helps the average Catholic in the pew better know and understand our holy and ancient faith in a way that is refreshing, awe-inspiring, and makes readers chest-pounding proud to be Catholic. And readers love it. Now you can enjoy Joe's work by getting the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It book series. In fact, get two copies of each book, one for yourself and one for your pastor. Then your priest can decide if he wants to help your fellow parishioners by subscribing to the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Get your copy of the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. Years ago when I worked in prison apostolate, I met a man whose prison handle was Bobcat. When I met Bobcat, he was in his late 20s, but he'd been such a hard-drinking, hard-living alcoholic that he looked 40 years older. Prison-made alcohol was easy to get, and Bobcat had been getting plenty of it. However, providential events occurred that eventually led him to become a Catholic there in prison. I was privileged to watch a life-changing spiritual transformation come over him. Bobcat stopped drinking, tried to learn all he could about the faith, and turned to the priest and me to help form him spiritually. It was apparent to everyone that Bobcat was on his way to sainthood. As Bobcat began to get close to his release date, I did everything I could to find him a place to live and a job to go to after his release. It was one of the few times I struck out. Nobody wanted to give an ex-con alcoholic a chance. Bobcat told me that was okay and that he'd just returned to the large city where he'd grown up. I told him that at least he could sleep and eat in the missions until he got back up on his feet. Bobcat's face contorted into horror. He told me he'd rather die, that the missions were a near occasion of sin for him, and that he'd return to the bottle if he went anywhere near the missions. After Bobcat was released, it was several weeks before I heard from him. I was surprised to get a letter from him that had a general delivery return address for his local post office. According to the letter, Bobcat was living in a large appliance box under a bridge. He also said that he managed to get the first job he'd ever had in his entire life, a dishwasher at a busy restaurant. I got letters from Bobcat every couple of weeks to update me. He told me about his temptations and how grace helped him to overcome them. He told me about the priest where he went to daily mass. He said the priest didn't know him, but he was getting to know the priest well enough through weekly confession. Then in the last letter I got from Bobcat, he told me he'd managed to save enough money to rent a little efficiency apartment that he was going to move into the next week. When I didn't get another letter from Bobcat, I just figured that he'd moved on with his life now that he had an apartment. It had been unseasonably cold that winter, but I didn't think much about it. After all, Bobcat had shown how capable he was in taking care of himself. 
Some weeks later, I found out that the night after he mailed the last letter, three days before he was to move into his new home, Bobcat froze to death in that appliance box under the bridge. I was told he was found with a rosary in his hand. It's not enough to bear the Catholic label. We actually have to live the Catholic faith. Bobcat lived his faith heroically. Unfortunately, many Catholics I'd talked to before Bobcat got out of prison didn't live their faith heroically. None of them, not a single one, would give Bobcat a chance. One of the corporal works of mercy is to give shelter to the homeless. If someone had given a positive response to my pleas on Bobcat's behalf, he might still be alive today, and those people would have been richer for having known Bobcat. Please keep this story in mind the next time you run across someone less fortunate than yourself. True, you may get burned. You probably will get burned. I've been burned more times than I can count, but these people are made in God's image and likeness. Everyone deserves a second chance. Help your fellow Catholic six-packers. They need to be listening to the Cantankerous Catholic, and you can help them find it better if you leave a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Leaving a review will make it easier for other Catholics to find the Cantankerous Catholic, because reviews cause the podcasting platforms to show it more often. And I thank you in advance for leaving a review. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.